the CAS Health Podcast, the show where we hope to connect our community with healthcare information that's relatable, understandable, and useful to your life, and where you get to know better the neighbors providing your care here. I'm your host, Ann McCurdy, and in today's episode, we're talking about Healthy Vision Month with Dr. Jeff Gergen. Before we get started, two quick disclaimers. First, the comments in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CAS Health. Second, the information in this podcast is not intended to be construed as personal medical advice. Always consult your primary care provider with your questions and concerns regarding your health. And with that, we can get started. Welcome, Dr. Gerd. Thanks for having me today, Anne. It is Healthy Vision Month, and we are talking um, to all of our favorite eye doctors, and we like to get started by getting to know you. So we'll start with an easy one. Where are you from? Sounds good. Hey, I've got ties to Minnesota. I was born in Albert Lee, Minnesota. Spent the first two years of my life in Minnesota, but then after that, moved to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So Cedar Rapids area is where I uh, graduated high school from, Linmar High School. And family back there still? Yes. I uh, got family back there. Dad still lives there. Mom lives in Ankeny. And then I got a brother in Ankeny and then a sister out in uh, California. Oh, all good places to visit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How about a favorite TV series? That's really hard to whittle down to just one. I'm, I'm a big Star Wars guy, so uh, Mandalorian I love as a, as a short series. And then uh, Yellowstone. Uh, that's a series I stopped, started talking to with my wife, actually talking me into watching that with her. And uh, I like that a lot. So then favorite movies are Star Wars. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> okay, if you're cooking dinner to impress, what are you making? Oh, boy. Uh, breakfast, I'm kind of great with uh, French toast really good French toast guy. Um, and if it's uh, cooking supper with the kids and stuff, we love to do the homemade pizzas. Basically, we just get the crust and we make what we want and make our own. And that's kind of a, a family tradition that we do, actually. So. so when you do your pizzas, are you an oven pizza? Or are you like a, like out on the grill pizza? No, it's not that fancy. It's just an oven type oven of guy, actually. Not, not brick bread pizza or anything like that. It's just an oven pizza. So, sure, yeah. sure. They're still good, though. Oh, yeah, delicious. <laughs> Um, okay, so if we get, gave you $50 to spend locally, uh, where are you going and what would you get? Not a big retail shopper, sorry. Um, but uh, gosh, uh, one of my favorite stores is no longer here. That was uh, Salvation Army. Oh. Um, I'm kind of a, yeah. I'm an old school guy. So I used to go there and look for old Star Wars stuff, old Hawkeye stuff and things like that. But, uh, currently, uh, I'm a shoes guy and my family is too. So I go to Brown's, um, get some shoes. So. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go wrong with going down on Brown's. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about favorite holiday? Gotta be Christmas. Uh, Christmas is great. Uh, my wife's a teacher, so she's got off that whole time. So um, back with the kids and stuff. So it's a great time. We decorate the house. We have like seven, eight Christmas trees in the house and uh, just love the Christmas holiday. Go back to my mom and dad's, get together with family. So it's great. So seven or eight Christmas trees. Is there a Star Wars Christmas tree? There is a Star Wars Christmas tree. And there's a Hawkeye Christmas tree that's up year-round, too. So yes. Year-round? Yes, it's a gold Christmas tree. And it's got uh, all the Hawkeye buttons on it and stuff. That's kind of the, uh, the way we decorate that, actually. So the old uh, bowl game buttons and stuff on it. So uh -huh. that's up year-round. So. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I hope you're comfortable in our Iowa State decorated. Well, that's okay. Yeah, I like them, too, actually. My second favorite team in Iowa. So. Second favorite team in <laughs> Iowa. I like it. Uh, what will we never catch you doing? Well, you may catch me doing it, but I'm very, I'm not good at it at all. And, that, and that's dancing. Uh, my wife likes to take me out and try and dance, but I'm not a good dancer, actually. So um, I prefer not to dance. Sure. I prefer just to watch other people dance. So I can understand that. I can understand that. 
Um, so what's better, the book or the movie? Got to be the movies. Got to be the movies, actually. Yeah, big movie guy, um, especially the Star Wars trilogy. That's kind of what I grew up with. The, the first movie I ever saw in the theater was the original Star Wars, so uh, I've been hooked ever since, actually. So, if, if you're anything like my brothers, you didn't see it just once in the theater, either. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. So multiple times, and I got all the DVDs and VHSs. I don't have anything to play VHSs, but I got the DVDs and yeah. watch uh, Star Wars probably about once a week, one of the series, actually. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, if you're driving alone in the car, what are you jamming out to? God, genre's got to be more like country rock. Uh, Morgan Wallen, uh, Florida Georgia Line is kind of my two favorite bands, I guess. So that's sure. that and then uh, stuff from the 80s, back in college days, long-haired bands, stuff like that. But uh, um, more uh, more recent stuff, the the country rock. So, And how about Pets at Home? Oh, yes. We have uh, lots of pets, actually. We have uh, three dogs, one golden doodle. Her name is Veda. And we have two Shih Tzus, Jordi and Leia. And then we've got uh, four kind of garage-type cats. They're more outside cats, actually. So we've got a total of, of seven pets at the Gergen household. So. Yep, I understand. I've got a couple farm cats myself. You yeah. Know, a couple that just show up. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. They're protecting the house. They're good, good mousers. Yes, they, they, they keep are. keep the mouse out of the house. So, um, How about next or dream travel destination? Got a couple on the list. Um we haven't traveled a lot as the family. Both uh, my children uh, were in multiple sports through high school, and they we just became empty nesters this last year. Or so, and we both my wife and I both, both turned fifty this year. So we were like, eh, the fifty is going to be the the decade that we're going to travel. Actually, but a couple on the list. I'd like to hit Ireland, maybe with some um, um, friends and play some golf. I'm a big avid golfer. Um, with the wife, I'd like to take her to Dubai sometime. I've don't even know where it is, but I've seen some pretty cool footage on that, actually. So I'd like to hit Dubai sometime and then take the kids to Cabo, you know, something fairly close. And um, they always want to get away. Yeah, get some sun down at Cabo on the beaches and stuff. So I don't really just have one, but uh, probably one of those three. Yeah, so. and you're not you're not going every which way to sports anymore. So you've got a little time to do these things now. Finally got some extra time. That's great. Yeah. Dr. Gergen, we always like to hear from our guests about why they're in the careers um, that they are in here at Cast Health. So I'd like to start out with why optometry? What was it about it that drew you in? Um, and tell us a little bit about your education and training and the path that brought you here to Cast Health. Yeah, my mom tells me that I had a crush on my uh, Sunday school teacher, and her husband was actually an optometrist. So one of the things that drew me to Sunday school every week was they always showed videos of uh, when her husband, um, Dr. Rich Noyes from Cedar Rapids, used to go down to Haiti for mission trips and uh, do free eye care services for them. So I was exposed to that in just grade school and stuff. And like I said, I, I didn't miss uh, Sunday school because I, uh, I had a crush on my, uh, <laughs> apparently a crush on my uh, Sunday school teacher, so my mom says, actually. So, and then later in life, I was about 12 years old, and uh, I got hit in the eye with a slingshot. Um, from a distance of about 15 feet. Lucky I didn't lose my eye, but uh, it turned out I had a detached retina. So I dealt with numerous optometrists and ophthalmologists and surgery and contacts and glasses afterwards. So um, just a lot of exposure to the field growing up. And uh, I thought it was a great um, learning experience just to see what they do. And then uh, just kept in touch with my local optometrist there in Cedar Rapids, and he kind of showed me the ropes, you know, what to do, what classes to take, and uh, he was a big mentor for, for me. So. so the person with the slingshot, um, 
do we still have bad feelings about that? Or are you like, you know what? Actually, thank you because it led to all uh, that, You know, that's something you don't forget, actually. It was <laughs> my fault, 100%. My folks were gone, and they said, nobody's coming to the house tonight. They were out for an evening by themselves, and it was me and a buddy of mine, that uh, best friend from high school. And uh, we were playing war in the basement. And I uh, just peered over the top of a mattress, and he got me, you know. So uh, it was fair game. You know, it was my own fault. And uh, But, no, I, I still like the guy. And, uh, uh, yeah, we're still friends till today. So. Well, that's good. That, that's a good outcome from that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how long have you been at Cass Health? Cass Health, I came in the fall of 1998, actually. It's my first job out of optometry school. And uh, loving every minute of it. It's been quite a ride right when I came Dr. Schmidt was here he was kind of a role model of of mine here in town actually he kind of built the practice and sold it to the hospital years before I came and within a year or so after I I came Dr. Schmidt had had left and um, went to Colorado to practice and uh, Dr. Weiland was still here as an optometrist so it was basically a two optometry optometry practice after Dr. Schmidt had left and uh, Dr. Weiland retired here about three four years ago so for the last three or four years it's been Myself heading the optometric practice upstairs at the and keeping plenty busy. Very busy, you know. <laughs> um, uh, longtime optometrist here in town, Dr. Sharp, also retired about a year ago, and uh, that opened up uh, um, some patients um, coming our way as well. And then we haven't replaced um, Dr. Wyland, and he's been retired three or four years, so I've kind of took on all of his patients as well. So yeah, it's pretty overwhelming at times, but uh, we get it done. Excellent. Gotcha. So tell us about your education and training. So you just you've made this decision that this is probably the career for you. So where do you go to school for that? Yeah, um, basically um, for optometry school. Basically to get in, you you have a four year undergraduate degree um, and you take a. Uh, preceptor test, kind of like you do to get into medical school. So you, they base your criteria on uh, grades. I had a Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Iowa. I was actually going the path of medical school, and uh, medical school was going to be about six, eight years after undergraduate degree, and I actually got engaged uh, to my wife at the time, and I'm like, let's get out of life a little bit and do something that's still fun, um, but it's not quite six, eight years. It was a four-year program. So basically, undergraduate, a degree from University of Iowa for four years, and then I went to a private school, Pacific University, out in Portland, Oregon, um, for my um, training in optometry. And that's a three-year intense program just in the classroom. And then the fourth year is all preceptorship. And that's kind of what took me to Atlantic. Um, there's three preceptorships, each one of them four months. The first one, I was in Tacoma, Washington on a VA base there, and that was a great experience. And then the uh, second one was just in uh, Portland, just where the school is. And then my third one took me here to Atlantic, and uh, that's where I worked with Dr. Schmidt and uh, Dr. Weiland at the time. Um, and at that point in time, that's when I kind of forged a relationship, and that's kind of how I wound up here in Atlantic. So. And getting back to Iowa, closer to family, I'm sure, was a big bonus. Oh, yes, yes. Actually, when we – my wife and I both went out to time to school together. She was teaching and finishing up her teaching at the time. We knew all along that we wanted to wind up in Iowa because we're very family-oriented. Both our families were back here. But we thought, eh, for four years, let's go explore another part of the country. And, and we just – we enjoyed it thoroughly. It was a great, great choice for us. It's Healthy Vision Month, and we'd like to talk to you about keeping our eyes healthy. So we'll start out with, how often do I need to see my optometrist? 
Well, we'll start early in life, actually. If you have young children, really, they're working with a pediatrician usually the first couple years of their life, actually. It's good to get into an optometrist, maybe age two, three, definitely before they start any any schooling, you know, by preschool years, four or five. They're old enough to do most of the testing that we do on adults, actually. And I like to basically see them yearly through age 18. And after 18, um, if they wear contact lenses, we see them once a year. If they have glasses or if they have very good vision, we see them every two years. And then once they get to be 60 years of age, we go back to every year for adults, actually. The only caveat to that is uh, if you're a diabetic, you should be seen every year. If you have any eye conditions, glaucoma, things like that, basically we're going to see you more often, sometimes as much as every three, four months, actually. But for the average person that has pretty good vision, um, doesn't wear contacts, basically every two years, you know, up until age 60. And then, like I said, 60 plus years of age is a time where the eyes change tremendously, develop cataracts, can develop glaucoma, macular degeneration. So we kind of move that up and just kind of see it once a year for a dilated eye exam. So. And when I think about children at this eye exam, all these kids may not be able to read all these letters yet, but you guys work around that. You've got other tests and things that you're looking at. Yeah, yeah, very important. Um, we have a really good laser-guided um, test that basically gives us a general idea what somebody's prescription might be, and that's really good for young kids. That they don't respond well. You know, for the average person that goes to the eye doctor and you say, what's your one's better, one or two during that test, they don't know what you're talking about. So basically we have uh, – uh, more of objective testing for kids that age. Instead of the letters in the eye chart, we have pictures, numbers, things like that. And more importantly than just what they see in the eye chart, just make sure they have good baseline eye health, you know, just make sure that they're seeing well, the eye is, is good from a um, health perspective, actually, is um, probably the most important thing of why to get started. Because you never know in the future if they develop an eye injury or something like that. It's good to have some baseline so you know what their vision was like before the injury and things like that. So it's always good to have that as a reference. So, yep, and they just they don't have the vocabulary to tell you that something's that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, because that's it's probably been that way their whole life, and so that's those early assessments are so important. They are huge because. If you're born with poor vision, you don't know anything else besides poor vision until you have good vision. So a lot of times kids, you know, I've seen kids that the first time I see them, unfortunately, is when they go to get their permit to drive and they can't pass a driver's test. And uh, they probably should have had glasses six, eight, ten years ago, actually. So they've just seen that poorly their whole time uh, life until it came to a point where you had to get a license. So, you know, there's some criteria for that. So, um, yeah, it's very important, actually, because sometimes, like you said, kids don't know what good vision is like versus bad vision so and i've often heard you say that the eyes are like a window to someone's health um can you tell me more about that definitely um Really, the eye, the dilated eye, when we look at the retina, we see blood vessels. And when we see these blood vessels, we actually see blood flow through these blood vessels. So that's what's really cool about my job, actually. No other place in the human body you can really watch blood, you know, flow real time through blood vessels without doing imaging scans and things like that. So, gosh, we... Through the years, you know, all the optometrists, you know, are very well trained to look at the back of the eye. There's so many different... uh, diseases that are associated with the eye as well, actually, just systemic diseases like that. You know, we I've diagnosed numerous people with diabetes that know they have it because they've got some hemorrhaging in the eye, blood pressure issues, multiple sclerosis, um, looking at their blood vessels. You can also see plaques and high cholesterol, and that can lead you down the road of cardiac problems. So, yeah, I mean, 
I'm not saying we're a cure all for everything. We're we're not going to diagnose everything by looking at the eye, but there's a lot of major high points that we look for um, that can lead us down that path of sending that patient back to their primary care physician and getting some of that stuff looked at actually. So really optometry works very closely with the primary eye care physician, especially with patients like diabetes, blood pressure issues and stuff. Diabetes, like I said, that's one of the big things. I probably see six, eight diabetic patients a day, you know, and they're, they're, they're to be seen at least once a year. Some of them with diabetic eye-related problems are sometimes three or four months, you know, so um, really get to know those patients well. And we, we have a lot of diabetics in the community, so. Right, because diabetes is a really vascular disease. You're right. I mean, basically diabetes is a almost an autoimmune dysfunction of the blood vessels, where if the blood sugar gets too, too high too long, those blood vessels don't carry the blood and the oxygen and nutrients uh, efficiently anymore, and you get bleeding and, and swelling. And, you know, unfortunately, when I see that in somebody's eye, you, you know that that same blood flow and the same blood vessels in the rest of their body, their heart, their lungs, kidneys, they're probably damaged too. So basically, I sometimes tell my patients, the eyes kind of like that coal mine in the canary. Gosh, there's something going on in the eyes. I'm sure there's stuff going on in the rest of the body. The other organs are affected. So sometimes, especially in diabetes, when you see those patients that have really bad diabetic renopathy and they need laser and injectable medications and stuff to treat that, their overall health is not good either, you know, and uh, that's unfortunate. But again, it's some, one of those things where I can stare at them in the eye and say, let's take this diabetes more seriously. I mean, if their blood sugar is too high, you know, their eyes are one of the first things to go, but then it's other organs, you know, and you need some of those other organs like your heart to live, you know. <laughs> yeah, that so. is an important one. <laughs> yes, it is. It so, is. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like the window of the rest of the health in general, actually. So. And and to be able to see these things, you need to do a dilated eye exam. Yeah, you know, the, the thing about dilation um, – as everybody gets older, their pupil gets smaller, and the pupil is how we look inside the eye. So if you're under 50, 60, you know, your pupil's still fairly large, actually. So it's pretty easy to see most of that with a non-dilated exam. Um, but basically, 60-plus years of age, that pupil gets really small, and it's really tough to see the back of the eye. That's why we really dilate, so we can actually see what's going on inside the eye, actually. So it's a sometimes I tell patients instead of looking through that little keyhole in the door to kind of see what you're seeing inside of a room, you're opening up the door to see exactly what's in the room. And that's kind of what a dilation does, just opens that eye up good and wide so we can actually see what's going on in the back of the eye. So, As a patient, that's what I would want. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know. I mean, I, I want you be, to be able to have, um, you know, the opportunities to inspect the entire eye and to make sure, you know, everything's good, you know. so Yeah, if you can get by uh, the little stinging in the eye and then yeah. you can't see very well up close for a while. Yeah. Once you get beyond that, it's you for, realize for how me, important it's, it is. For me, it's the brightness the rest of the day. But, right. I, you know, I can put up with that for a few hours to make sure that my eyes are healthy. Exactly. Um, so beyond just, you know, the standard, you know, 2020 vision check, um, what are some of the reasons patients come and see you? Um, like I alluded to earlier, just because you have 2020 eyesight doesn't mean that your eyes are healthy. You know, there's all kinds of diseases. We talked about diabetes quite a bit already, but the one that really scares me um, if patients aren't seen on a regular basis is glaucoma. And the reason why I say that, it's not like it's super prevalent, but the reason why I say that is because it's kind of like that silent assassin. I mean, a lot of times with glaucoma, you don't have any symptoms early on until it's too late. So if I have somebody coming to my office that says, oh, I think I have glaucoma, my vision's poor. If it's to that level, the patient already has severe vision loss. And the problem with uh, glaucoma, that vision loss is irreversible. There's no surgery with all the technologies we have, no surgery, laser, 
you know, glasses, contacts that can correct, um, you know, um, damaged eyes from, from, from glaucoma. So we basically do a glaucoma baseline test on everybody every time they come in, actually, just to make sure that that's not creeping up on a patient that doesn't realize that they have it, actually. And then, as I alluded to earlier, you know, I'll see patients that don't pass their driver's license test. So we get in, and sometimes that's the first eye exam they have, but sometimes it works out great. I've seen numerous people that had 20-20 vision. I, you know, passed them on the driver's test, but at the same time we did the exam and found some hemorrhaging in the eyes and turned out they were diabetic, and they didn't know it, actually. So, um, and most of the time, you know, these are people that don't go to the primary care physician that often, you know, but they're forced to see me at least, um, because they got to get their license. And we do baseline blood pressure checks everybody, every time they come in for their checkup and stuff. So for some people, it's the first time they had their blood pressure checked in a decade, you know? So, so it's, it's really good in, in respond to that actually. So. Yeah, the, your overall physical health and your eye health—they just tie together. They're just they're just so intertwined. And so yeah. yeah, all my professors said, just realize these patients—it's not like two eyeballs on a stick. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that you do relates to the rest of the body, actually. And you know, the the eye is extremely complex. It's basically an extension of the brain. You know, so it's just one of those things. You can't replace it. You, we don't do eyeball transplants like you can't do a brain transplant. It's so so intricate. You know, um, we can do corneal transplants and things like that, but as far as replacing the whole eyeball we don't have that technology today and i can't see it in the near future either so so along those lines are there eye emergencies yes <laughs> definitely eye emergencies and you know thank goodness um we can take care of most of those you know being in a rural setting here uh, cass county area here in atlantic specifically both uh, dr thompson downtown and myself we see quite a few eye emergencies and we handle probably 90 percent of those that we see actually like in the summer really p- picks up we get uh corneal abrasions you know people are taking things to the dump and you know throwing their sticks in the pile and they'll they'll get scratched in the eye things like that we have all kinds of welders farmers and stuff that weld so a lot of times we'll get foreign bodies metallic foreign bodies in the eyes things like that um you know um sometimes um people get new onset flashes and floaters and sometimes in, in the right person that can mean a retinal detachment, you know. And although we as optometrists don't do major surgery like that, we're the first people to see that oftentimes, especially in smaller communities. And then we go on and, you know, send that patient to um, either Omaha or Des Moines, usually to Omaha. That's where Dr. Ingvelstad, our retina specialist, is from. And they can take care of those surgeries. You know, retinal detachment is one of those real true emergencies that should be addressed usually within 24 to 48 hours, actually. So. You mentioned glaucoma specifically and that you test routinely for that um, at every appointment, I assume. Yes. How are you testing patients for glaucoma? There's a lot of things that we look at when a patient may have glaucoma. But the routine testing that we do every time, actually, is you put a little numbing drop in the eye. Nobody likes drops, but drops are sometimes important. And then we put the dye in the eye, that kind of yellowish dye that kind of comes from the eye. And then that big blue light, you know, that comes comes at you during the course of the exam. That's where we can kind of check your pressure. And... I'll be the first to say glaucoma is not all about just checking pressure, but that's a huge factor, risk factor when it comes to glaucoma. If your pressure's high or if it tends to run high, especially with family history. But so when you say pressure, do you mean blood pressure? Do you mean a, there's like an air pressure or yeah. what, what does that mean? Yeah. So intraocular pressures based on the fluid within the eye itself, actually. So it's, it's independent from blood pressure, actually. So just because your blood pressure is high doesn't mean your eye pressure is going to be high or vice versa, actually. So it's an independent reading that we take on the eyes, actually. And it's one of probably five, six major things we look at for somebody that might have glaucoma. We check their pressures. We talk about family history. Sometimes if we have reasons to do it, we can do what we call a visual field test, side vision test. 
and then we'll take pictures of the optic nerve. That's the structure in the back of that. It's actually damaged in glaucoma. And then, of course, we directly look at that um, as well with the scope to look at that optic nerve function itself. So unlike some diseases where you just go to the lab and get a you know, blood test, it's not going to come back that you have glaucoma, actually. There's probably a series of five, six different things, major things we look for. There's more than that, actually. But um, that's the major key points that we look for um, just to diagnose um, that specific disease. What are those red flags that I would think um, as a parent or as a patient, like this might be a retinal detachment? How would I know? Yeah. Um, first of all, the people that are very nearsighted. So if you got the really big, thick pop bottle type glasses, yeah, actually. The, uh, Anne's raising her hand right yeah. now for everyone in the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those are people that are more prone to retinal attachments because they tend to have a larger, longer eyeball. And that longer eyeball is a thinner retina. So a thinner retina is more prone to tears and detachments. So essentially anybody, but those specific patients, you know, I always remind them when they come in, just make sure if you see any new onset, like flashes of light, it's like a, it's like a lightning shows going on, you know, but there's no lightning outside and patients often said, Oh, I thought there was lightning bolt outside, but they see kind of a lightning streak. Um, floaters, floaters can be very common, but can be very serious in, in the fact that it can signal a retinal detachments coming on. So a floater, for those of you that haven't had them, basically it's like a little gnat or a little flies flying around in your, in your, line of sight. And sometimes that couldn't be uh, the first sign of a retinal attachment. You know, when I had my retinal attachment when I was 12 years old, I also had like a black curtain effect. It was literally like someone p- took a piece of tape or was covering up part of my vision. So I couldn't see out of one quadrant of my vision. And uh, that's a, a sure sign that a retinal attachment's coming on actually. And like I said, those, we probably diagnose, oh, anywhere from eight to 10 of those in, in a year. So they're not very often, but usually once a month, once every sure. two months, we have retinal detachments. I think about Little League and all the baseball games starting up, and I think about, oh, gosh, all those baseballs and softballs to the face. Oh. Yes, injuries. Yeah, the yeah. number one injury to the eye is actually from racquetballs. Oh, and, well, and, sure. It's, yeah. it's a small enough ball. It compresses. It can uh-huh. actually get beyond the orbital bones. The orbital bones are there to protect the eyeball. You know, and Most of the time, if you've got a softball, baseball, they're going to hit the orbital bones first before they actually hit the eyeball. But so that racquetball is smaller, isn't it? Smaller. It's It'll it's compress dense. a little bit. Yeah. It's dense. And, uh, yeah, those are the big – that's uh, the number one, like, sports-related. Um, so wear the goggles. Wear the goggles. <laughs> they might not look very cool, but they're going to save your eyes. So, yes. Yeah. Good to know. That's good advice. <laughs> Any tips or tricks um, that patients should know, things that I should keep on hand at home? Yeah. um, Basically, what's really important with family history is that there's certain eye diseases that basically are passed down through the generations. Actually, we've mapped out the human genome now, and then all diseases, we're really looking at what specific genetic markers patients might have that might preclude you to getting diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma. So genetic testing is important. You can do that, you know, um, home genetic testing and send those in anymore. Um, But really in the next 10, 15 years, I really see that as a huge way that we could possibly treat certain diseases by genetically modifying the genetic material, actually. And then just the basics, um, get your eyes checked. You know, you don't know if there's a problem if you don't get your eyes checked, you know, occasionally. Sunglass wear is really important, you know, just to protect the eyes from UV light from the sun. Um, wear those goggles, you know, when you're playing racquetball or when you're mowing or trimming, things like that. Very important. Anytime you're doing yard work and stuff, just keep those goggles on just to protect those eyes actually from sticks and, you know, flying 
material if you're mowing there might be a rock that flies up and hits you in the eye um those are all really important things to have actually so. yeah yeah one of my kids could tell you um wood shavings from their poultry <laughs> yeah. um so we were at the county fair and boy that fan hit the all the wood shavings right in her eyes you know right. <laughs> you know so yeah I, th- I think at this point i think 75 percent of the mccurdy children have seen you for four bodies <laughs> <laughs> yes eyes. they happen quite often actually they, they we all, I always tell when spring and summer comes because we just start getting that kind of thing actually yeah <laughs> <laughs> how do i keep my eyes healthy are there actually things i can do to like ensure that um, i'll have have these eyes working for a long long time now, like i said earlier protect the eyes you know the goggles is really important sunglasses are very important you know good uv protective sunglasses and good sunglasses not the five dollar sunglasses from the gas station um you know you really want good uv protection um to help protect the eyes in the long run especially for diseases like uh, macular degeneration we see a lot of macular degeneration in the area very prevalent in folks as you get older you know a disease of the older eye usually 70 plus years of age but sunglass wear from early in life you know is very important kind of like that sunscreen you know there was a point in time where a lot of these folks that are 80 years old now didn't grow up with sunscreen and now they're battling the effects of not having sunscreen in the form of skin cancer as they're older kind of the same thing sometimes with the sun protection with your eyes wear the sunglasses as a lifetime you know so that as you get older certain diseases like macular degeneration um maybe you could ward that off or help ward that off or push it back later in life actually good nutrition is always important you know um good healthy balanced diet um, keep your blood pressure in check keep your cholesterol in check Things like that are just extremely important because, like we said earlier, just being healthy, your eyes are part of the rest of the body too. So It's all connected. So for diabetics too, keeping those blood sugars in check um, is also going to help improve. That's and, huge. You know, keep your eyes healthy for, yeah, for the yeah. long haul. So. Yes, definitely. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for taking time today to come talk to us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. It was great being here. Mm-hmm.